0: Hello everybody and welcome to another month, another webinar here at Opus Partners and on Property Live and today we've got an awesome presentation talking about how to actually start your property investment portfolio. Now we always like to start these with
1: a little sound check, so Andrew you had a question for everybody. Oh my question this week, no it's not going to be what colour shirt am I wearing because it's always the same. Today the question is who got the better haircut today, was it Andrew Nichol? or Ed McKnight. And so, if you, and actually I hope you did notice that we oh, both got- pass
0: off, Shane. What Ooh. did they say? What they, did they say? They said it's the same. No, I see <laughs> a lot of Eds. Thank you very much. You've also passed the sound and the sight check, which we always do Ridiculous.
1: Like. How <laughs> oh
0: <laughs> good. So great that you could hear us. If you've got any audio uh, issues throughout night, just pop them in the chat. We keep an eye on them throughout, and we'll see if we can sort them for you. But because, of course, this is recorded absolutely live, we're going to jump straight into it and we'll wait as we start to get everybody coming through. Now Andrew, last week we had a webinar and you forgot which keyboard to use, so I've got to hand yeah, it to yeah, you no,
1: he's, given, he's already given me the briefing today that he's gonna be on technology, he's delighted. I think he stitches me up. So anyway, before we get started, I just want to mention that tonight is a webinar It's not personal financial advice. So if you hear anything and hear anything, I'm going to go make a decision. Probably stop yourself and get some financial advice first. Here's what you're going to get tonight. You're going to get get the webinar for free. Tomorrow you'll get the recording for free. The Q&A, honestly, some of the best content comes out of the Q&A. So if you don't stick around normally for that, I'd encourage you to do so because you get to hear those things that you might have thought during the webinar that you didn't get to ask. You don't get the slides, but you'll get the recording. Now, can you all go down to the bottom of your chat and put your messages to everyone? And the reason for that is because we want everyone to see your questions uh, so that we can all uh, communicate together
0: and one of the best parts of these webinars is that you guys chat back and forth throughout the webinar there's always a couple of hundred of you guys online and it's so good to see you guys encouraging each other and answering each
1: other's well, questions there's almost 400 already so we want to share in the community that's what we're building here the other part do we have a super for that is the q a please remember if you've got a question if you put it in the chat there's a high probability we'll miss it. So if you put it and if, it, if the question's for everyone else, the community, absolutely, by all means, put it in the chat. But if it's a question for us that you want us to answer at the end, put it in the Q&A tab. That way, at the end, we'll go through and answer as many as we possibly can. So why should I listen to these two guys with two great haircuts? <laughs> so One and a half. <laughs> So we have, you stole mine. So we have the number one business podcast, the Property Academy podcast, with 5.4 million downloads, so we know a thing or two about property. We've had 1,237 podcasts. Can you believe that? Well, I can actually, because yeah. I've been there for a while. <laughs> and we've produced 40 webinars, which is amazing as well. We started these webinars back when we were in lockdown and had nothing else to do, but Produce content for you guys, and we have enjoyed them so much that now uh, we just do them every month. Um, we have New Zealand Property Investor Magazine and Informed Investor Magazine. We're very proud of these publications. Our book, Wealth Plan, goes into bookstores finally on Thursday. So if you haven't got it already, you'll be able to pick it up at your local WIC calls or Paper Plus on Thursday. And we spoke at 10 property and investors associations last year. Geez, we did the rounds.
0: We definitely did. We went all the way from Invercargill all the way up to Whangarei. So it's fair to say we know a thing or two about property.
1: So let me tell you about my sidekick, Ed McKnight. He's an economist here at Opus Partners. He's the host of the Property Academy podcast, an esteemed author and a property investor. Me on the other hand, I'm a financial advisor and the managing director here at Opus Partners. I too am a host of the Property Academy podcast, an author, and an avid property investor myself. So it's fair to say we know a thing or two about property investment, and you're not gonna get any more content than you're gonna get through us, and certainly not with the good looks and charm that you get with us. Now, when I learn something, Andrew,
0: sometimes I get a bit distracted, and perhaps that's the same for you guys at home because you might have kids running around, but I wanna give you an incentive to stay to the end. So if you do stay right to the very end, I'm gonna give you at the end a link where you can get our top three property investment eBooks including The Ultimate Guide to Due Diligence, The Ultimate Guide to Settlement, settlement and how to get investment ready. I'm also going to give you my top three property investment spreadsheets. Yes, I have three of them. The return on investment, the plan your own portfolio and how to get investment ready. And on top of that, I'm going to give you a free chapter of our book, Wealth Plan and early access to all of tonight's data. So this is all linked up and ready to go, but you do need to stay to the end and you're only going to get it if you're here live, and I'm going to be sharing that in the chat. Now, there are three main things that we're going to go through today. Tonight, you're going to learn what sort of properties to buy, and there are some different ones. they are then going to get into the best places to invest across New Zealand, and then we're going to see, and you're going to figure out how to see if you can afford to invest. But Andrew, I know that some people might be thinking, you know, 2023...
1: Terrible time to invest. Absolutely, there's there's a lot of bad publicity out there around property at the moment, so I can understand that some people might be a little bit nervous about, is it the right time to invest? Is it not the right time to invest? And let's put some numbers around that. So since the peak in November 21, property's down 15% on average. And that means the average house in New Zealand is down $88,000. So since the peak, we've all lost $88,000 on average on our property, so I can understand that people might be a little more dubious than they were, say, three years ago. But what we've got to remember is that, generally speaking, property goes up over the long term. So property isn't a short-term asset. Lots of people have made money in the short term, so maybe that's why sometimes we forget that in in the short term, sometimes you can lose money as well. But the truth is, at some point, property's gonna go up again. But the important question for most people is, where is the bottom of the market? And actually, when I uh, invited everyone, sent an email out inviting everyone to this webinar, I did say, want to buy an investment property near the bottom of the market in 2023? And I did get some responses like this. Um, This is one from Gary who said, how do we know that the market is near the bottom of the market here in 2023?
0: From Gary. And hopefully Gary's here tonight, because uh, I remember we replied saying, Gary, if you come along to the webinar, and I sent him some other things as well, but if you do come along, uh, we're going to talk about it. Now, of course, nobody can predict precisely the exact bottom of the market. But what I often like to do is trust the wisdom of crowds. And when I talk about the wisdom of crowds, I often like am talking about other economists and banks. And so what I've got in front of you here are the... Property price predictions from most of the major financial institutions in New Zealand, at least the ones who publish them. And this can give us a bit of a a consensus forecast to say, well, where is everybody's head at? And then we can make an assessment about what we think. So, for instance, here Kiwi Bank thinks the market's probably going to bottom out somewhere between July and September 2023, so quarter three, and they reckon that maybe from now up until that point, house prices might go down another 4.6%. Papa T, or Tony Alexander, as we like Ah, to call ah. him, the last time he released a prediction, he was thinking about the same, and that's with us as well. But not everybody agrees with that. For instance, Treasury and ANZ they think property prices are going to bottom out somewhere between October and December this year, maybe another 8% down. And the Reserve Bank and Westpac, a wee bit more pessimistic, they think early 2024. But if you add that up, you see that of the people who do release property price predictions, about five institutions are saying, hey, we think it's going to be in 2023, and two are saying might be early 2024. What is fair to say, though, is that somewhere between the next 18 months, it is highly likely that we are going to see the bottom of the market. And that tends to be where a lot of investors are trying to invest. Because after you hit the bottom, what's likely to happen? House prices gradually start to increase again. Now, what I've given you here is the most optimistic and the most pessimistic projection from Treasury and Westpac. So, for instance, Treasury is that top line. They believe that after we hit the bottom of the market, their predictions show that in the three years following, property prices, by their forecasts, will go up about 25%. For Westpac,
1: over the same period, they're saying about 15%. 15%. So I've got a question for you. Go for it. I haven't asked this one before, but I always wonder, you know, banks are working on their numbers and presumably a big part of their projections is about uh, protecting capital of their shareholders, their stakeholders. Um, Treasury, maybe it's not quite the same. Do you hold any more or less weight on one or the other? No, I
0: wouldn't say so. The only thing that I would say is sometimes I take Westpacs with a little bit more grain of salt because from when I look at their projections, Typically, they've been a little bit more doomsdayer, if I can say that. Sorry to anybody who's from Westpac. Well, look. On at here. the end of
1: the day, I mean, economists. Are, yeah, I think you said it perfectly the other day on a podcast we were doing. Economists are trying to make a, a, an assessment of what the future holds, and no one can do that. But they're taking the best data they can get to come up with what a forecast might look like. And you can't. Like, no, no, no. economist is going to hold a gun to his head and say that's what's going to be right. No,
0: absolutely not, because there's so much uncertainty. There are two things that that. Um, I've probably ever said on the podcast that I thought were particularly good. About, about, <laughs> Only two. About three years ago, I wrote an article for Stuff um, titled Economists Often Wrong, Economist Says. And I still think it's one of the greatest things he ever wrote because economists are often wrong. So you, you look at these projections and you say, Is our property prices going to work out exactly how they're projected to be? Absolutely not. That's why we're trying to look at a range of projections to understand a range of potential outcomes so we can make an informed decision. Now, ignore what the exact numbers are going to be. Treasury says up 25%. Westpac says up potentially 15%. The key message is this. Property prices are likely to fall a wee bit, at least for the next five odd months then at some point they're likely to increase again. And that can be driven by multiple factors that we might get into uh, later on in the question time. But my main takeaway is this. If you haven't invested before, there is some good data to suggest that 2023, it could be the year for you. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a poll across your screen. And this is always interesting because I want to learn from the wisdom of crowds. And now I'm going to learn from you guys. So the question I'm going to put on you across your screen in a minute is when do you think house prices are going to stop falling? When do you think the bottom of the market is going to come? Is it somewhere between now and June this year? Is it between July and September, the third quarter? Is it later in the year, October to December? Or is it going to be early next year or potentially maybe even after April 2024? So I'm going to stop sharing my screen now and I'll, oh no I'm not going to stop sharing my screen because the poll
1: has been put across by producer David. Um, oh so I, so I like that you use producer David this week so that you can take the glory of his fine uh, uh, technological skills. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I think it's pronounced technological but that's, that's okay. That's what I said answer. I just said it slowly hey there's some great answers now here. I'm going
0: to come look at you so we've had about 300 people answer so far not
1: many for my birthday sadly <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's okay and maybe once we get another 25 people answer that, we'll stop there end the poll and share it across your screens. Let's do that in three, two, one. We're going to end the poll and share that. So I can see here that about 11% of you, 40 people sitting at home now, think it's going to happen between now through to June. I can see that about a third of you think it's going to happen in quarter three this year. So agreeing with uh, our current prediction, Kiwi Bank Tony Alexander. The majority of people, or it's not the majority of people, but 40% of you are uh, agreeing with ANZ and Treasury, saying, hey, it's going to be later in the year, October, December, and only about 20% think, hey, it's actually going to be across in 2024. So all up about 80% of people, four and five people, saying, hey, 2023 could be the year to invest. Now, we're going to stop sharing that, and I'm going to get into... Sarah's
1: told you you're looking suave, and she likes the, um, she likes the button level that you're using. Tonight. Sarah! Oh, I've done an extra one up. Oh, that's disappointing, Sarah.
0: <laughs> now we're going to get into, and Andrew's going to take us through, what sort of properties we're going to buy if we're going to invest in 2023.
1: Okay, so there are lots of different types of properties that you can invest in, um, but kind of generally speaking, especially when you're new to investing, often you'll fit into three categories. So you might look at a new build, so something that's absolutely brand new, an existing property, which, uh, again, might kind of go into the next category as well, but an existing property where you're just going to rent it out, or you might get a dunger, something like I first started investing in, so the types of properties where you're going to absolutely have to do some renovations to get it to a rentable standard, a healthy home standard. And the question that you might be asking yourself is, well, I want to get started, but I don't know which one to buy. And the truth is, the house you buy depends on the strategy you take. So there's no one choice for everyone. So let's talk about the three main property investment strategies. So firstly, we've got the passive buy and hold strategy. So you're going to buy a property. You're going to collect the rent, you're going to use the rent and maybe a top-up to cover your costs and you're going to hold that property for 10, 15, 20 years. And how do people make money through that strategy, Andrew? So this way, generally speaking, you're buying a property so that you get capital growth on the long term. So often you might see people say that's speculating. Yeah, it's, it's assuming that we're going to see growth in that property over the long term. Next is the... Ah, the BUR strategy. The ELSA. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just me <laughs> opening. I did offer to do that for him before we went on air, but he can do it himself, it seems, in the middle of my presentation. The renovate and hold strategy, the BUR strategy. So, this is when you buy something, you renovate it, and then you rent it. So, you're going to hold that property long term, but you've bought something that you can add value to. Now, you make money this way by renovations but also the ongoing revenue from it if it's enough to cover your costs. The third strategy is flipping. So this is when often you might buy a dunger, You'll renovate that to a standard that it appeals to more people and then you'll put it straight back on the market and you'll sell it to someone else. Now you make, this, you make money on this not from the rental income but on the margin that you make between the purchase price, the renovations and the sale price. And also, in flipping, just to be really clear, you're not going to get that long-term capital growth
0: because you've already sold the property. You're
1: trying to get your growth in a short period of time by putting some elbow grease in there. Now, we're not going to cover option three tonight. We're not going to talk about flipping. We're just going to talk about passive buy and hold and the renovate and hold. Now, what do you think that is, Ed? Well, probably because if property prices are
0: still going to be falling flipping becomes really hard because you're trying to buy a house and maybe sell it within 6 months. Well, if house prices fall at either 5-10%, that can make flipping quite unprofitable.
1: Well, you can make you can make a you can buy a property say 500,000, you can put 50,000 into it and then you might end up selling it for 5 50 as well, because, you know, there's been some price adjustments, you haven't sold it so fast, so there's been some holding costs. Often there's quite expensive holding costs for strategies like this because often flippers will use non-bank lenders or, or, or uh, mezzanine finance. So that's not what we're going to co- cover tonight. We're going to cover strategies one and two. These are probably the most appropriate for 2023. Oh, cool. So let's talk about the type of properties you typically use. So if, you, you, if you're going for a passive buy and hold strategy, something that's a bit more hands-off, generally speaking, the properties that you're going to buy are new builds. If you're doing a burst strategy, you don't do that with a new build, because a new build has, all a builder has already decided how to most efficiently build that. You're not going to have much in the way of improvements to do, so you're going to use an existing property for that.
0: And I think what's really important to recognise as well is that no one strategy is absolutely better for every, everyone than the other strategy. There are pros and cons to both. And so we should go through those, Andrew, so people can make up their minds about what's going to be the right strategy for them.
1: Yep, so let's talk about the pros of a passive buy and hold strategy. Well, firstly, it's easy to get started. And the reason I say that is because uh, the LVR restrictions that mean that you need a lesser deposit if you're buying new. So that often means that people can get started earlier there are lower taxes when you're buying a new build the bank uh, the, the reserve uh, sorry the government has incentivized people who invest to buy a new build and it's really easy so you buy a property and you wait the cons though because there's always negatives to any kind of strategy the cons for a new build strategy is you only make money when the market goes up So you can't be expecting to make these massive spikes because you've done these renovations because the work's already done for you. Where you sometimes make money, though, is is in the construction time, but we'll we'll leave that off for now. The other part, the other major con, often the cash flow is worse. Generally speaking, if you're buying 100%, you are going to be topping, topping up a bit more. Now, let's talk about the pros and cons of a renovation and hold strategy. So, the pros are, you make money through the reno. You bought it for 500, you've put 50k into it, now it's worth 600. Made up numbers. Often, you can have better cash flow doing that. Now, that also might be the gross cash flow, because we'll talk about the cons uh, in a minute. And it can be easier sometimes to buy the subsequent property. And the reason for that is if you've added some equity in there, you can then leverage against that equity, maybe. Yeah, it has become significantly more difficult since the
0: LVR restrictions have been tightened up. So it was much easier to use a renovation strategy to keep progressing your portfolio, at least from an equity perspective, when the LVR restrictions were significantly looser. At the moment, they're really quite tight. But
1: take us through the cons of this. Okay, the cons is it does take a lot more money. So you not only need double the deposit, to what you need when it's an exi- a new build because of the LVR restrictions, but you also need to have the renovation funds as well. So, often, again, $500,000 property because it's easier for everyone to imagine. You need $100,000 if you're buying a new build for your deposit. You need $200,000 for an existing property. Plus, you might need that $50 for the renovations in that ex- example I gave before. So, $250 compared to $100,000. The other con is you're going have budget blowouts or renovation problems. And I've done my fair share of renovations in my time. You will have a lot of these if you're doing this on a regular basis. The other part is it takes some skill. You need to actually have some knowledge of where you can add that value for the minimal amount of money. And you need to recognise things like rot or borer or things that again will result in budget blowouts and renovation problems. Tonight, we're going to focus on the passive buy and hold strategy. The reason for that, well, if you missed it, last week we had an Opus Accelerate, which is the Opus Burr Strategy webinar specifically dedicated to this, where we did a case study where James, in this instance, increases rent by $240. So if you missed that, you can watch that on our website. Yep, so because we've just done a renovations-focused webinar, we'll focus more on that
0: passive buy and hold strategy tonight. And the first thing we're going to get into, now that we know what sort of properties we're going to buy and from here on we're going to assume new builds. so it could realistically be uh, other types of properties as well as we've just discussed, we've got to figure out what are the best places to invest in in New Zealand. So if you already know that you're either looking for a new build or an existing property, whereabouts are you going to look for them? And for those of you who have already read our book, Wealth Plan, you will know that from page 99, there is an entire chapter on how to find properties and specifically the locations that you're going to look in. And there are three main things we suggest you look for in a specific area. Firstly, regions that are relatively undervalued. And what we mean by that is an an area that potentially has an at least over the last five years, gone up in value potentially as much. So it's looking relatively cheap compared to where we might expect it to be. We'll get into that more detail about that in a moment. The second thing you're looking for is an area with higher population growth expected in the future. And in the book, we show how areas that have had higher population growth have had a smaller amount or have had some additional capital growth in terms of their house prices got, have gone up slightly faster. And then the third thing we're looking for are, are areas with larger populations. So the, the bigger cities on average tend to have more consistent capital growth compared to the smaller regions. So now that we know those are the three things that we're going to be looking for, we're going to play a game, and it's called Invest. Or give it a rest. You're you're happy with that title, aren't you? I am. And I'll tell you why I really like this title. Because Invest- it rhymes. Well, not just because it rhymes, Andrew. Um, and, and not just because I think I should have been a game ho- game show host in another <laughs> life. But the reason I like it, it, calling it, it, we used to call it hot or not. But I didn't like that because it assumed that the market you might be investigating or might be attractive might be hot already. But in actual fact, often some of the more attractive markets are not very hot. So the reason I like to call it invest or give it a rest is that sometimes there are regions that might not be, in our mind, good for investment right now. But if you give it a rest in maybe five years' time, in 10 years' time, things often come around, and that might be the region that you start investing in then. So invest or give it a rest. I like it. It's good. So we're going to now give an example, and we're going to go through Dunedin. And we're going to see, is this a place that might be good for investment, or should we give it a rest? Now, the first thing we're looking at is whether the area is under or overvalued. And you can see I've got a graph to your right. What that shows is how expensive are Dunedin properties compared to the rest of New Zealand over time. And what you can see is that there are these times where Dunedin looked pretty expensive compared to the rest of New Zealand. So that's saying, well, what's Dunedin's house price divided by all of New Zealand's house price? Is it above where we would expect it to be, or is it below where we would expect it to be? And you can see in this highlighted area, house prices in Dunedin were above their long-term average compared to the rest of New Zealand. In some other times, there are there are uh, periods where it looks relatively cheap
1: compared to the rest of New Zealand, and that's where we might look to buy in that specific area. And I think actually it's quite important to note here, because I can see some commentary here in the chat going on, this is one of the factors that you would consider before you buy a property here. This is just part of it. Um, it's quite an important part. If, if an area is way overvalued, a la Wellington, say, A year ago, where we were saying it's not a place we'd recommend for investment because it's so overvalued, that might not be the right time to buy. Then, but then of course now there's been this major correction that's come down. It's looking about right. But then you see things like, okay, well the land's quite limited there. There might be some good population growth stats. There could be some um, other factors that we think, okay, now there's some opportunities there. But then you might say, okay, well some other cons are. expensive insurance so there's a whole lot you want to take into consideration not just this this is just one thing oh this is one webinar that's teaching maybe
0: five percent of the book if you really want to get a sense of how we view investment there's 270 pages uh, 272 pages about exactly how you would buy a property how you'd set it up especially this section, I'm giving you three things to look for when choosing an area. But in that chapter, I think it's chapter seven or eight, we actually go through eight things that you would look at when searching for a property. And then there's a whole chapter about how to run cash flows as well. But we've got an hour with you tonight. So we're going to share the main things when looking for an area. The first thing, of course, we're talking about, especially with Dunedin, is it over or undervalued? And right now it looks overvalued, but by only 1%, so not very much. You can see that the correction has already happened in Dunedin where everywhere else in New Zealand has either increased in value more quickly than in Dunedin or Dunedin has fallen more sharply than the rest of the country. The second thing we're looking for is population growth. Now over the next roughly 30 years, Dunedin's population is expected to grow about 4.9% according to Statistics New Zealand, and of course we're sitting in 2023, so it's roughly 25 odd years. Now, the main question you might be thinking, well, is that particularly good, or is it particularly bad? And I have built you an interactive table that I'm going to give you the link to if you stick around to the end. This is uh, one of the things I'm going to uh, give you right at the end. And what this table shows, and i tell you what, producer David, let's, uh, let's exit out of this, and I'm going to jump into... Uh, I'm going to jump into Google Chrome. And let me make this really big for you. Let's share this
1: across everybody's screen. Christopher, while you're doing that, Christopher's asked, where do we get this information if you want to do it yourself? The uh, the raw
0: data, uh, you'd have to pay about $5,000 to, oh. to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. Steal to it to from get. our website, is the uh, answer. But we release it for free on our website. So if we're looking at population projections by council area, and I look at... How much, house, uh, how much population is expected to grow between 2018 and 2048. Uh, and again, you're going to get this uh, for free. You can see the, far, the area that is expected to increase the fastest over that time is Selwyn District. That's in Canterbury, just south of Christchurch. And there, the population is expected to grow from about 63,000 up to just over 121,000. Now, what I want to show you is where does Dunedin come within this table. Dunedin comes 56th, in 56th place, out of about 67 different councils. So it's definitely below average in that respect. And what I want to show you as well is just coming back to, uh, one of the cameras in light, just coming back to this, would say, okay, Dunedin's population growth is really quite average. The next thing we'd look at, and this is the same again, in that same table you could use this for, is larger populations, because as I said before, larger populations tend to have more consistent capital growth. Dunedin, again, comes in about average, uh, or actually, rather, above average, comes in at sixth place with roughly about 130,000 people. So what I'd do, if assessing this area, is I'd look at these three things and say, OK, is Dunedin under or overvalued? No, it's about where it should be. It's about average. What about population growth? Well, it's well below average. It comes in at 56th place out of... 67 councils, not very good. Well, does it have a large population? Yes, it does. Okay, that's pretty good. So would I say Dunedin's a good place to invest or should we give it a rest? I'd probably say give it a rest. It's not the worst place you could potentially go right now. There are a lot of uh, worst places you could go. But is it one of the best? Right now, I'd suggest probably give it a rest. The next place would probably look at, and I've got some more data that I want to show you, and who was the nice person who said, how do I do this myself?
1: Oh, Uh, that was many comments ago, but I will just say this because I know we'll get more questions. There's been quite a few questions around the floods. We'll cover that at the end.
0: Oh yes, we've got um, some really good content going out this week as well about the floods. I think your uh, newsletter this Thursday is yes. going to be about the floods, and we've got a podcast going live on it tomorrow morning But we'll as make well. sure we cover that. Let's just talk about Auckland generically. We'll talk more generically about Auckland right now. And what I want to do when thinking about investing a rest is we're going to do this live. We're going to look at, is it under or is it overvalued? We're going to look at its population growth and also the larger populations. And for the kind soul who asked the question before about how do I get this data myself? I've crunched it for you. When I was talking about paying five grand to get the data, I'm talking about if you wanted to buy the raw data, the crunch stuff is already there. So I've got two things I wanna show you. The first thing is I've created this map for you, which shows where house prices are most over or undervalued. So you've got all 66 different council areas across New Zealand, and you could hover over them and see, well, where's looking particularly overvalued? Look at this. Holy moly,
1: almost
0: 40%, 36%. Mackenzie District, about 36% overvalued. And so what that really means is that over the next five to 10 years, I would expect Mackenzie District to have substantially less capital growth. I, I wouldn't expect
1: house prices to
0: increase as much as the rest of the
1: country. And that's one thing to point out here is that doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's going to necessarily drop in value, it could just level out while other areas catch up. That's true.
0: That's also why we've seen Christchurch and uh, places like Selwyn, Waimakariri, most of Canterbury and the upper South Island has been undervalued for a while Oh, Ed, here's a good question. I've not finished my point. (laughs) And what you often see, if I was to show you this um, same map, looking at where have house prices uh, dropped the most, you would see they've dropped the most in these overheated areas, and primarily they have dropped the least in some of these areas. Like, for instance, Ashburton, still 11% undervalued. House prices there are only down 2% from their peak. They could easily uh, make that up again in the next month. But here we're talking about Auckland, and by my analysis, Auckland is about 10% undervalued at the moment. So I'd say, you know what, that's pretty good. I'd be pretty happy with that. Okay, let's now look at population growth for Auckland, if we think it's pretty good. So we've sorted it by um, total growth, searching for Auckland. Auckland comes in 12th place out of 67 different council areas, so it's in the top 20%. Well, We're expecting Auckland's population to grow by about 30% over the next 25 to 30 years. So I'd say 12th place, that's pretty good. And obviously, if we were to um, sort this by total population today, if we're looking for a large area, Auckland comes in at first place. So if I come back to uh, my slides here, I'd probably say Auckland, is it over or undervalued? It's undervalued, I'd be pretty happy with that. Is the population growth high or is it low? High. It's above average. And what about, does it have a large population? It's got the number one population. So I'd probably say Auckland, give it a rest or invest. At the moment, I'm calling that invest. I was meant to do a poll for you, but do you know what? I forgot to do it because I'm an idiot. (laughs) 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 And you've given the answer. My question before was, how often do you update that map, Ed? That map is updated as of today, so as of the latest data from December. The one currently on our website, if you were to go to the New Zealand property market page, that is up to October. But I re-crunched the data uh, probably about two hours ago with the latest data, and if you stick around to the end, you are going to get that uh, within the pack. That's all linked up.
1: And we'll update that on
0: our website later this week. Uh, we will update it at an appropriate time. <laughs> That's what's <laughs> what known as an Ed answer. <laughs> That's what I say to Andrew when I don't know the answer. Uh, we're going to go through a couple more, and I probably won't go through the exact numbers, uh, given that we've got oh, uh, limited time. We've got some other great stuff to go through. But Rotorua, at the moment, invest or give it a rest. I'm saying give it a rest. It's uh, It's... Been a fantastic area. Really, um, really short on rentals at the moment. uh, But house prices there, quite overvalued. Uh, Wanganui, invest or give it a rest. This is one of my favourite places uh, to visit personally. I grew up only an hour north of it. It was the big smoke for me growing up in Hawara in South Taranaki. Invest or give it a rest. I'd again suggest give it a rest. Um, Quite overvalued. I just want to show you as well, Andrew. I I I thought I wasn't going to do this, but here I am. If we look at... Uh, Wanganui for instance, about 20% overvalued at the moment, as is much of the Manawatu-Wanganui region. And again, it's not that house prices there are necessarily expensive compared to Auckland. Uh, The last time I checked, Wanganui house prices, I can't remember the exact numbers, but probably around uh, 600,000, maybe 700,000, they're cheaper than Auckland. But the thing is, they're expensive for Wanganui. That's the point. Again, Auckland house prices, the most expensive or second most expensive after Queenstown, but they're relatively cheap for Auckland. That's the point that we're looking here. And again, if we say that Wanganui is slightly overvalued, well, what about the uh, population growth? What do we expect there? Well, we're expecting about 9% population growth, so more than Dunedin, but still in 46th place out of, uh, out of uh, 67, so still in the bottom half. So again, it's not that I've got anything against Wanganui. It's not that I've got anything against any area. I just want to invest in the areas that I think are going to increase in value over the medium term. And of course, a big assumption in this is that you're investing for, for, uh, primarily for capital growth, which not everybody invests for. Uh, finally, invest will give it a rest. What do we think about Christchurch? I'm still I'm still hot on Christchurch. still about... 13% undervalued, really good population growth, uh, sizable city Yeah. And so, uh, oh, actually, there's one other thing I was going to talk about, Andrew.
1: Oh, the emerging opportunities. Yeah, and I want you to
0: talk about these because this is, these are areas that you're particularly looking at in the, at the moment. Yeah,
1: so because a big yeah. part of my role is to, fight, to, to spot the next uh, uh, opportunity you know, again, we've got all this data which might say Wellington's overvalued at the moment, or, or whatever. Just as an example, but I do think there are opportunities in the market where something is, where, where a market is overvalued, if it's at the right price or it's the right deal. Again, this mo- you you do still have to dig into the details, and I'm spotting some really good opportunities at the moment at, in areas that I didn't think I'd be recommending quite as quickly as I am. Yeah, I mean, interesting enough, and again.
0: This is one piece of the the investing puzzle. I mean, if you found a ripper of a deal in Gore, just because we might not recommend uh, uh, something in Gore doesn't mean that you can't potentially make some money there. So emerging opportunities we're seeing in Hamilton, Tauranga and Wellington. Now, so what are we we, uh, summarising this up for? First of all, we're saying top places to invest, Christchurch and Auckland. And then uh, in terms of emerging locations, probably Wellington, Tauranga, Hamilton. We've just mentioned those ones. But I'd also be looking increasingly at Ashburton and Invercargill. Invercargill's been a very popular uh, place that investors have invested in the past. And Ashburton, I'm quite hot on at the moment. Now, next we've got to get into, okay, so I know that I want to... Potentially invested a new build property. I know that's potentially in Christchurch or Auckland. How do I figure out whether I can potentially afford to invest, Andrew?
1: And there's two parts to this. We've got uh, we've got the what does a property cost in that particular area, and you know what, what it's going to be, but also how much can I afford? Because if I'm borrowing money from the bank, let's face it, we're all limited by what the bank's going to be able to lend us. So I just want to give you some really broad numbers of what you might be buying in a different region. So in Christchurch right now, if you're buying a two-bedroom townhouse on maybe one of the city fringe locations, you might be looking closer to the 550 mark. If you're buying maybe a three-bedroom townhouse, maybe in the city or closer to the city, you might go up to kind of 750, and that might be with a garage. If, on the other hand, you're more... Uh, a lot, you, 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 your desire is to buy a, a standalone house, you could be anywhere from sort of 700000 again, on the sort of further outskirts of town, or you could be anywhere to 900000 coming into town. And again, there are so many properties that will fall outside of this, I'm just giving you a bit of a range on what we're seeing all day, every day, and what we think might be a suitable investment. Yeah, yes, your lower end
0: of that, your 700s, would be in the neighbouring district. So not strictly Christchurch, but potentially a Rolleston and Selwyn district. Yeah. Maybe a Kaiapoi in, uh, in Waimakariri.
1: Now, if we go to Auckland, your entry-level price for an Auckland townhouse tends to hover around that 700000 mark. And then, if you're and again, that's probably for a two-bedroom with a car park. If you go in kind of a three-bedroom, four-bedroom with a garage, you could be up towards the $1.1 million mark. Again, you can buy properties for much more money than that. This is kind of the sweet spot, in our opinion. And, again, there's a whole lot of criteria around that. If, on the other hand, you're looking for a really high-yielding property then probably something like a dual-key apartment. This is an example in Ellerslie um, that we've spoken about before. We're probably not recommending right in the CBD right now just because of uh, the amount of properties that are on the market uh, for rent at the moment. But let's say it was kind of a bit further out. is a great example. Somewhere between 900 and $1.1 million. So if we look at this on a spectrum... If you're you're on the spectrum. (laughs) If your ability to buy is in the 550 mark, you're probably a Christchurch townhouse. If you're way at the other end, you could be anywhere up to $1.1 million. Again, there's everything in between as well.
0: You're just looking to get an understanding, get an idea of it, right?
1: And you might be thinking, well, how how do I know if I can afford that? How do I know what I can afford to, to buy? Well, good thing that we've got another tool that you can use. So we've built a, uh, a calculator online that'll tell you how much you can spend on an investment property. It's a guide, by the way. You can't lock this in stone until the bank's giving you the money. We've had three and a half thousand people use this, which we're really proud of because that means that people are actually taking control of their financial situation and figuring out what's suitable for me. It also
0: means that if three and a half thousand people have been through it, I've had the complaints when things go wrong
1: (laughs) and I've been able to fix them is the main thing. So it's been tested. And let's talk about this lovely couple here. So... Take it away, Ed. So this is, I just want to
0: give you a case study, and we're going to put some numbers into this calculator because here's the thing. We've done quite a few webinars where we've taken you through the, the nitty-gritty details of uh, bank servicing, bank deposits, how do they assess your mortgage, and all of that. And while that's, in my mind at least, very, very interesting, and I think you should be able to uh, understand that, that content's there online for you if you if you want it. What I want to do tonight is shortcut the process and talk about, well, what if you were a normal couple, you're wanting to buy, say, a townhouse, house and let's use the cheaper end, say, 559K. How could they use this specific calculator in order to just get an idea of it, of what they could potentially afford and I want to just go through this example as I'm trying to find the specific link. Do you know what I'm going to have to do, Andrew? <laughs> what, do you want me to tell a joke? No, I don't tell a joke, but I have to go into the, the um, I've called it the webinar goodies folder, <laughs> which, is, um, which is the link that I'm going to send to you all. Uh, You're when, a strange, you strange there. man. <laughs> what do you mean a strange man? They Everybody at home wants the, web, the uh, what do I call them? The webinar goodies as well. Where's the link for it?
1: This is always. I just me. love that last week he sat on the couch and pulled faces at me every time something didn't go smoothly. And no. here he is this week pulling what's known in the industry as an Andrew Nickel. <laughs> okay,
0: so let's go through this. Can I afford investment property? We're going to get an instant answer in two minutes. And again, you can see it here. This is live. About 3,600 people have been through this. I'm going to make this bigger for you guys just to make sure you can see it. So how many properties do you already own, including your own home? So for this couple, we're going to say they own one property, and it's their own home. Are you investing with a partner? In this case, yes, because it's a couple. And I'm going to assume they don't have any children at the moment. And just so you know what's going to happen at the end of this, I've taken a lot of the bank's internal calculators and I've taken those formulas and implemented them into this specific calculator. So it's a ballpark based on how the banks would look at this. I'm going to assume that since they're a couple, they've got two cars. So no kids, couple living together, two cars, that sounds reasonable. And, you know, what would uh, uh, what would uh, one person in this couple potentially earn? And we're kind of making this up. Maybe 90000 maybe 80000 Yeah, OK, we'll go with that. And let's say that the partner earns, say, 75 grand, just as a ballpark. So, oh, that's says 750. <laughs> um, so these guys would be earning total household income, 155k. And let's say they don't have a cash deposit. They're just going to borrow against their own home. So let's say, what's their first property worth? And this would be their owner-occupier. What would a what would a, um, a modest home be worth these days, Andrew? If they bought it a couple of years ago, maybe seven hundred. Oh, personal jinx. Well, No, 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 no personal jinx. We can't do that. Um, seven hundred thousand. And what were what would a, a mortgage be if it was their owner occupier? let say
1: three. Let's say yeah. Let's say that they this is their second home, so they've paid down the first mortgage, then upsize three hundred thousand. Okay, three hundred thousand dollars on a seven hundred k property. I've
0: already put my details, and let's just skip and see how much they can afford. Okay, so on this basic ballpark analysis, they could potentially afford up to $993,000. Now, let me be really clear. What I've tried... That's a bit... That's (laughs) that's a bit too clear. (laughs) No, what I want to be clear about is I've put an exact figure here. And the reason I wanted to do this is to actually show you that it has been calculated. Do not go into BNZ, ANZ, Westpac, or ASB and say These those two guys. guys with their good haircut, <laughs> with their good haircut, told me I could afford nine hundred ninety-three thousand six hundred seventy-one dollars for an investment property. Can I have that, please? Doesn't work that way. But I want to give you a guide. And the really cool thing about this one is it gives you, it, it takes that figure and it compares it to some ballpark houses. So could they afford a two-bedroom townhouse worth 625? dollars Our estimate is yes. What about an Auckland two-bed townhouse? Our estimate is yes. The three-bed, by this estimate, yes, but because it's getting closer to that limit of $990,000, the answer might be more of a maybe. So you guys are going to get this link at the end. You're going to be able to run your own numbers. It works up to owning three properties. If you own four, five, 12 properties, it becomes a lot harder to estimate it on an online calculator, that's where you really want to be talking to a mortgage advisor. But you guys are going to be able to use that, which is really cool. To be
1: able to just get a sense of it. What are you chuckling at? Oh, about? someone asked who our barber was, and I said Mike Campbell at GM Studio. Uh, someone said Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie Wonder, <laughs> how good! Uh, you see, the
0: wonderful uh, thing is, we find it hilarious when you say uh, mean things. <laughs> Unless it's
1: on TikTok, then we go home and cry. We don't. So <laughs> let's take a look at um, this couple. Oh, can I just stop you there? Yeah, There's go one on. question that's relevant to the timing of this. Someone's asked whether or not we update based on serviceability test rates. We do as often as we can. Um, we try and get so much content out that, that sometimes we need to uh, do that more often. Don't we, Ed? Well, one of the things... Don't give me that look, Andrew Knuckle. One
0: of the things I'd say is um, we try to keep it as up-to-date as possible. Um, But banks will change their servicing criteria frequently. Sometimes we don't get it. I can't remember the exact test rate we're using in there. I think it starts with an 8 in front of it, though. But we
1: add some margins as well in there to, to buffer some things that we don't know. So, for example, if you've got an existing rental property rather than a new-build investment property, uh, often banks will um, shade the rental income a lot more because you've got to pay extra tax. Yeah, we shade that. We
0: also include, I think, an extra 10 grand of expenses per year as a bit of a ballpark. But let's come back to this ballpark. What could they potentially afford? Look, I'd be pretty comfortable saying they'd probably afford a Christchurch townhouse, probably can afford a Canterbury standalone house, up around Auckland, yeah, they possibly could afford something. Probably not looking at an Auckland dual key, though. And again, this is just to give you an example. And again, you know what I'm going to do, Andrew? On top of the ebooks books and the spreadsheets, the wealth plan, the But access- wait, there's more. Access, I am New Zealand's, uh, the property investment industry, Suzanne Paul, as somebody (laughs) once wrote on Facebook. Um, I'm also going to give you early access to this borrowing calculator if you stick around to the end. Uh, I'll put that in the notes as well. So after all this, what have we figured out? Look, if you've decided, hey, look, I've figured out my property investment strategy. It's either going to be a new build or existing. I know whereabouts I'm going to invest in New Zealand, potentially Auckland Christchurch, maybe some of those emerging areas. I figured out what I can potentially afford. The next question is if you are going to actually start investing and starting that property investment portfolio in 2023 is how do I go about finding the right property? Or if it's that lovely case study of the couple we just looked at, how do they start going about finding the right property? And there are two ways that people usually do this. Either you can do it yourself. So Uh, read the book, listen to the podcast, take the information, go and talk to some real estate agents, talk to some developers, find a property that suits you. Absolutely legitimate way to go about investing in property. But one way that people often don't think about, and the way that probably, I would say less than 10% of people right now in the New Zealand market actually invest, but perhaps they might like to consider is using a property investment company. And I just wanted to take maybe two minutes to talk about this, because this is a way that very few people actually have considered investing. Most people go about DIYing it, which is, again, legitimate. So here's what a property investment company does. They create a property investment plan. So they'll sit you down, run you through, okay, what properties do you already own? Do you need to sell some? Do you need to buy some? what are we trying to do here? we Are trying to create a passive income? What are your goals? Let's create a property investment plan to try and achieve them. A property investment company will then find the right new builds for you, ones that you potentially can invest in, and then they're gonna hold your hand throughout the process. Now, often, a property investment company will not charge you money to work with them. Some companies do, but some companies don't. And in our case, at Opus Partners, we're, we're just one example of a property investment company. We don't. So here's how they often get paid instead. If you as an investor decide to work with that property investment company, they'll have relationships with lots of developers, should be lots of developers. And then if they can find the right developer and the right property for you, and you say, you know what, that's a great investment, I'm going to invest in that, that's when they'll earn a fee. So that's how they can keep the lights on without charging you money. But here's the thing. If you are going to use a property investment company, and obviously us here at Opus Partners are one example of that, though there are lots of other examples, just Google them, you'll find lots of them. You've got to figure out, well, which property investment company am I going to use and why am I going to use them? And again, for anybody who's new here tonight, because some of you have been with us coming to these webinars for the past three years and know everything about us, and that's such a beautiful thing, some of you are brand new here tonight. I just want to give you the four reasons that investors tell me that they might like to work with Opus Partners or why they do, just so you know that that option is available for you if you wanted to do that. The first is we do a lot of research so that investors can make an informed decision about what they're going to buy. So that means running the numbers on areas, the uh, image you see in front of you is a map of Christchurch with the capital growth rates over the last 20 years. Again, taking the data so you can make an informed investment decision. The other thing, if you are got to work with a property investment company, and this is really important, is making sure that they've got a really strong process for checking which developers they're going to work with, And which developers they don't. And we just released a really good article, uh, oh no, we're about to, in this week's Private Property Newsletter on Thursday, taking you through the process for how we do that. And I know some investors really appreciate what that process is, and you'll see that. The third thing you've got to look for if you're working with a property investment company is making sure they've got a way to figure out, well, which property are you going to invest in and which one are you going to leave? And one of the spreadsheets I'm going to give you at the end of this is our return on investment spreadsheet, uh, which you can put properties in, and you're going to get this for free, but you can put properties in to see which ones gives the best investment and which gives a lesser uh, investment. And the last reason that you'll look for a property investment company, and one reason that some investors say they like to work with us, is you get help if something goes wrong. So if the developer goes bust, if there's an issue with your new built property, your property investment company should be there to help you if something goes wrong. Now, we are about to jump into Q&A and wrap things up. But one thing I always like to do is give you the opportunity to say, do you know what, this is something I'm interested in. I'm keen to learn a little bit more about this. And so what I'm going to offer you and put across your screen in a minute is an offer for a portfolio planning session. Now this is $0, there's no fee for you, we get paid the way I described it just before, and if you come in for that portfolio planning session, that's where we're gonna help you create that plan, we're gonna help you pick some new build properties, and then we're gonna hold you through your hand throughout that investment. Now, one thing I do wanna say is, this isn't the right fit for everybody. It's the right fit for some people, for instance, if you're keen to invest in property in 2023, It's good if you're open to new builds and if you want an advisor to work with. But actually, this isn't going to be the right fit if you're not looking to buy an investment property, you only want to reno, or you just prefer to do things yourself, which is a perfectly legitimate way to invest. Now, if you are on the right-hand side, if you're thinking, this service isn't for me, no worries. I still want to help you. Listen to the content. We've got other services. But if you're on the left side and you're thinking, hey, this is something I'm interested in, I'm going to put this across your screen in a moment. Are you keen to come in for that portfolio uh, planning session? If you click the top one, then we're going to give you a call. We'll give you a buzz tomorrow. So if you'd like us to call you, click the top one. If you don't want us to call you, click the bottom one, and then
1: that's going to be a wonderful time. Quite a few people wanted to hear my joke. What was your joke? Well, I don't know. Is, Is the frog in the bank? Still, still useful. No, the problem bit that one's terrible. I've got one. a wonderful
0: joke. Have you got that, one? No, but Anika Moa. Okay. Um, Anika Moa. Oh, oh says, Ken, come on in. No, <laughs> can people. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. It says Ken. That does show yeah. you that I uh, typed that relatively quickly. Um, come, come on, to, Anika Moa. No, no, no. The Anika Moa joke's a bit offensive no. because it's from Anika Moa. It's quite funny. Okay. It's quite funny. I think it's PG. Okay. David, are we going to roll the dice on this? That producer Dave said, "Roll the dice." Okay, it's getting quite hot in here. That's oh okay. God. where is it's actually a, yeah, a, a yeah. New Zealand joke? Just, so, come on, get on with it. We do old lesbians. Oh lie? Jesus <laughs> Christ! No, no, we're not doing a <laughs> joke. <David. laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, okay, sorry <laughs> about that one. Oh okay. Christ, <laughs> I shouldn't be allowed out of the cage. Okay, we're going to come to the next thing. What are we getting into? <laughs> wow. Okay, you t- let's share the screen and we're going to talk about the next <laughs> thing. <test. Please.
1: laughs> oh, yeah, you've got to walk, walk me through this now. I've got to All this right. Up. So, if again the service isn't right for you, or even if it is, um, continue listening. If you don't, li- oh, sorry. Start listening to the Property Academy podcast episode number twelve hundred and thirty-seven. Went live today. What well, was it on Ed? It was on. Was it valuations today? No, nah,
0: that was on Friday. I thought oh, it was top eight
1: was a trends. One. Top Do you eight know, eight know what it was, producer David? No, no, no it was a gr- it was a banger. Um, <laughs> anyway, and we've had some really, really good ones with it having a uh, break over the uh, um, <clears throat> over the Christmas period. Is the pension puzzle?
0: The pension puzzle. Oh, is superannuation got to get taken away? Oh, that's a good one. That was actually a
1: response to one of your questions. Yeah, that was a banger. Yeah, that was a banger. Um, Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If not for the content, then do it for the thumbnails because it's some of the funniest thumbnails I've ever seen. But seriously, there's a video... uh, Two videos a week? Two videos a week, Monday and Wednesday. Monday and Wednesday. Awesome content there. And if you like the visual side of things, you can see some of those graphs that you see here tonight. And... Click on the next one, Edie. The Wealth Plan Book. Out in bookstores. We're so pleased to have this released in bookstores. As of this week, the price now is $39. Well worth the money. I spoke to um, an investor that Dairy, one of our property partners... Um, was working with today. Lovely couple. They, um, he told me that he read it in three days. He said he got it, read it from cover to cover, three days.
0: Yep, so you can either get your book now uh, through wealthplanbook.com. That's free shipping throughout New Zealand. Or as we said, it is in bookstores this Thursday, the 2nd of February. Oh, and a wee bonus, I can't help myself, a wee bonus for you. Uh, We have released our internal financial software uh, live. You can access that for free at mywealthplan.opuspartners.co.nz. So any of you who said, hey, I'm keen to come in for a portfolio planning session, this is the software you are going to be using uh, when you come in for that. Uh, You can get that at mywealthplan.opuspartners.co.nz. Now, we are going to jump into Q&A now, but just before I do that, I need to get the webinar goodies folder and I'm going to get that Dropbox link and I'm going to put that in the Zoom chat because you guys have stayed here the whole time. So for the uh, 600 odd people who are here, here is the link in the chat where you can get access to uh, all of those webinar goodies, including the 3 ebooks, the three spreadsheets, the link to that um, borrowing calculator. I've got a free chapter of Wealth Plan in there, and I think there was one other thing and that happened can't Ginzu knife. And
1: a <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you remember that? that you know, you're too young to know this, so they bring out the Ginzoo knife. They cut through a um, shoe. Who the hell is cutting through a ch- shoe anyway? But anyway, that was oh, what it was. And, yeah, I remember seeing a lot of those. So we've now got... Forty-two questions in there. We're going to jump right, in and thank Andrew. you, everyone that put them in the questions field. I've I've uh, uh, scribbled down a couple of the other ones. Hopefully, I get them all. How do I make this bigger?
0: Oh God, I'm blind. I'm not going to be able to see that. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to move the TV. So Dave's
1: going to move the TV to on top of us. Um, there was a question. Quite a lot of questions about the election. So do you okay. want to talk about that? So we just
0: released, or are we about to? So it'll be released tomorrow this morning. morning. Tomorrow morning, we're releasing a really good episode uh, or video on YouTube about the election. Now, it's it's quite good that we did it because um, there are some things that I said there that have actually turned out to be right. So uh, in that scenario, we talk about the interest deductibility rules and how... Labor's taxes that they have introduced over the last couple of years have meant that some property investors are going to pay an additional $150 a week in tax. Over a 15-year period, it can be up to $110,000 that property investors are going to have to pay to the government just because of Labour's taxes. And of course, if National wins the next election, those taxes are likely to be gone. That's still policy on the National Party website. If Labour gets in, those taxes are likely to stay at least for a little bit. So, I've got two scenarios in that video, and that's what we're running with here at Opus at the moment. Either national are gonna win or Labour are gonna win. But there are two different uh, arguments for why that might happen. The argument for national winning is pretty clear for most people. Hey, Jacinda Ardern is an absolutely wonderful campaigner and extraordinarily popular both here and overseas. And look, Labour had been falling in the polls steadily from about May 2021 through to the latest polls in January 2023. Now, if you think that Chris Hapkins isn't going to be as popular and that Labour's going to continue to slide, then National is very likely to win. But, and I've got some good data on this that you'll see in the YouTube video tomorrow, is that Chris Hapkins may be more of a vote winner than you think. In fact, Of the different Labour politicians, he was the only one where polling showed that more people said, you know what, if he's the Prime Minister, I'm more likely to vote Labour than the number of people who said if he's Prime Minister, I'm not voting Labour. He was the only person where it looked like he would add to Labour's popularity. And in fact, the two polls released today, I think there was one from TV1 and there was another from I can't quite remember, showed that there has been a boost in Labour's polling. Now, the only question is, is that because Chris Hipkins is a real vote winner or is that just the usual bump that you would expect to see when a new leader is appointed to a major political party? Hey, we'll need some more polls to do that, but we're watching them very closely to understand what's going to happen. One thing I do want to say, is that, here at Opus Partners, we don't support any one political party. We do support policies that are pro-property investment. And so that's why we're watching the polls. But property investors are a diverse bunch. Some of you vote for the Greens, some of you vote for Labour, maybe National, maybe ACT, maybe somebody else. So we've all got our our different uh, opinions about who should win the election. Uh, But this is just looking at it purely from a tax perspective.
1: Okay, so I'm going to talk about, uh, again, a common theme that I've seen in some of the questions and comments. Um, uh, Someone asked where the sweet spot was going to be for buying a new build investment, and actually someone else said, is it possible that prices, uh, uh, median prices could go below what makes it affordable for a developer to actually sell something for? Um, And that's a really good question. So um, Ed and I actually did a podcast late last year, I think it came out, and we spoke about where property prices were for existing and new versus where they were about nine months earlier. And it was really interesting that actually in Auckland, there'd been much less of a change than what I expected. And in Christchurch, there'd been more of a change than what I expected. And part of the reason for that is because new builds tend to be more responsive to the price discount. So if we think about it this way, if you own your own house and you're thinking, oh, the prices are down right now, I might just hold on to that rental property for another 12 months and see if another government gets in and changes some of the policies and makes it worth my while. Quite possible that you hold on and you weather that storm. Whereas if you're a developer, if you own the land, you have some staff that you have to pay and you make your money by selling properties, you've got a good possibility that you're gonna have to discount the price. So often what will happen is developers will have to squeeze their margins and their margins were very good, um, you know, back at the peak of the market. They're a lot tighter now, um, which brings another question into my mind, will they survive? But I know at the moment I'm seeing developers that are accepting kind of a third of the margin that they were accepting in the peak of the market. So I do think there is good opportunity right now to get a good deal. I don't know that you're going to get much lower in the new build market. Well, I just don't think you are, because the margins have to be at an acceptable level for a funder to lend on that development. And if you can't get that margin, then they're just gonna uh, mothball that site. Um, I was talking to a developer today that said, you know what, the numbers don't work for me that project I'm not going to do, I'm just going to park that and I'll look at it again in a few years' time. So maybe what might happen over the next 12 months is, you know, those prices have kind of levelled out and now you might get to a point where developers say, I'm going to park that one, I'm going to do this one, you won't have as many options on the market and so then that might create a bit of uh, excess demand.
0: Cool. I've seen somebody ask as well, can you put the Dropbox link in again? I'll just hook that up now. (laughs)
1: Oh, somebody's
0: done it. Oh, somebody's done it for us. Now, let's talk about the floods. Oh, yes. So I saw a question from a anonymous attendee, and they asked, how will Auckland's recent flooding affect investor uh, confidence and prices in the market? Look, I'd expect it to have very little impact on investors' confidence in the market or in terms of property prices, very much at all. And the reason is, this is going to be uh, a short-term issue in the market. Do not get me wrong. It is Uh, very sad it has caused a lot of destruction it's going to cost a lot of people money in order to fix their properties but do I think it's going to impact where property prices are going to go not really. I expect it to have a bigger impact on the rental market. And the reason I say that is there are going to be a lot of people looking for short-term temporary accommodation. There are going to be people where their own homes have been damaged and will no longer be livable. There are also people whose rentals will, again, no longer be livable. And there is going to be tenants moving around as people are trying to find uh accommodation that they can safely live in. And so I think people who have rental properties available for rent at the moment will find that those will be rented very, very quickly, especially if they're located in areas that aren't gonna be affected as much. And I'm talking about in the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, that's where I see the impact being. But I think over a two-year period, is this gonna impact property prices? Probably not very much. It's more going to have an impact on the rental market, I see. I think um, also
1: a big part of that is I remember back when the Christchurch had its earthquakes, Uh, I was living here at the time, Um, it was a major disruption and it was quite an ongoing situation because um, insurance companies pulled out of the market, they didn't know if there was going to be further earthquakes, there were a lot of aftershocks, there were further earthquakes as well, Um, and that caused a lot of um, a lack of confidence in the market, um, especially if you don't know if you can get insurance when a property is complete or if you're buying a property. This is quite different to that. I think this is going to be a very isolated event in the grand scheme of things. But again, not to take away from the tragedy that it is.
0: And similarly, just in terms of scale that I want to talk about, because I, I am an Aucklander really, still at heart, I've only lived in Christchurch for six months and hope to be back there soon. Um, is that if you look at the number of properties that have been damaged in Auckland, the the last estimate I looked at was about 5,000. If you think about, okay, there's probably about 500,000 properties in Auckland, maybe 1% have been severely damaged. If you compare that to Christchurch, and of course the Christchurch earthquakes caused house prices in the Garden City to increase quite astronomically, it was in some areas up to half of the properties were quite severely damaged. So that's the kind of scale that we're looking at. That's why I'm saying it's the rental market that we're looking at as opposed to the broader property market, people buying and selling properties.
1: Uh, So someone's asked uh, the question, I saw it before, what do you do if a bank rejects your loan for some reason when you've bought a turnkey property, you've paid a deposit, and then 12 months later you go to settle and... lost your job or something like that. Um, So I'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, there is actually a great article on our website about what to do if you can't settle a a new build investment that's bought as a turnkey project. Um, There are a lot of people who have had a change in circumstance or or, um, servicing test rates change the situation. I think the key thing is actually to get this set up right at the start. So if you're dealing with that now because you haven't got an approval in place, that could be a harder situation, and there are strategies around that. You might involve another partner in it. You might might, uh, bring in a a business partner. Um, You might borrow some money from someone else or a non-bank lender. But if when you sign up for the property, when you pay your deposit, you use a mortgage broker and they follow some steps to make sure, for example, they get a pre-allocated title, They get the valuation right then and there. They get the valuation on your house. They do split banking to protect uh, your equity in your house. If they follow those steps, you're far less likely to have an issue later on because you can have up to 24 months as an approval. So one of my good friends, they might be on the uh, webinar tonight, they've just gone unconditional. Heidi and Nath, uh, congratulations. Happy birthday. Congratulations if you are there. Um, They've just gone unconditional on their first investment property. And they've got a 24-month approval for what is going to be a 12-month build. So they've got lots of wiggle room. So if you get it set up right at the start, you have less issues at the end. Who's the bank for them? West bank. Yeah, great. Um, Emmett has asked an interesting question. He
0: said, will Opus get into existing property in 2023 given delays and problems with new builds? Uh, Emmett, I'd argue that we probably are already at existing properties, given that we've got a whole service that coaches people how to renovate properties. And then also another service called Opus 360, which helps people renovate properties already within their portfolio. But what we're unlikely to get into is going out, looking for existing properties and then recommending those to investors.
1: And a big part of that is because there is so much due diligence that we do on a vendor. Um, when we're recommending something through Opus Partners. So uh, uh, the checks that we do on a developer are extensive. We want everything, including their DNA and firstborn. So it's too hard to do that for an individual purchase. So it's unlikely that that would ever be something that we do on a grand scale. Hannah's got a really good question. She asks, how will the floods in Auckland affect property
0: values inflation and interest rates, both at Auckland and around the country, and we could do a whole whole webinar on that, but here are my thoughts, uh, Hannah. First thing is affecting property values. The main issue that I see is if people's homes are damaged and that, that has caused their property values to decrease because the house isn't as nice anymore. The second thing that we're gonna see is a lot of insurance money pouring into Auckland as people bring those properties back up to scratch, as they start to do some renovations, which are going to be necessary, or doing some work to bring that property back up to where it was before. Now, you've asked a really important question about inflation, and I do expect that the Auckland floods will have some impact on inflation. And it's quite simple, really. Because there's been so much damage the properties' values have fallen, there has to be work done to those properties. So what are we gonna need? We're gonna need building materials, we're gonna need plumbers, we're gonna need sparkies, we're gonna need builders. So we're gonna to need to spend more money. And so the demand for those services is going to increase, especially as insurance money starts to come into the market and people use that in order to do up their homes. Now that is likely to cause some inflation on those types of services building materials, which are already going up, and then also trading time. Now, I can't remember exactly how much of that makes up of the inflation basket, of the inflation numbers, but there'll be some impact. I don't have exact numbers to give you right now, though, but it's a really good question. John, John,
1: uh, I'll I'll quickly do this one. Anonymous attendee said, how willing are banks to provide funding, mortgage loans, for a contractor with less than one year worth of trading history to purchase an investment property? Probably not that great. It depends a little bit. So if you've gone from a role where you've been paid a set amount and then you're in Wellington, for example, where you've got lots of contractors and now you've gone into that same IT role as a contractor for the same company, um, like Datacom or something like that, there's a possibility. But generally speaking, you'd have to use a non-bank lender. Now, John's asked the question, I know this webinar's focused on new builds, investments, but renovations, if I could do a lot of work myself... Should I do a new kitchen, a new bathroom, second bathroom? Is it worth considering? And then he added to this, sorry for context to my previous question, I've been looking to buy Renault and then wait uh, and then provo- produce some equity. And the reason is he's gone through a separation, trying to get himself back on his feet. Now, John, if you've got the skills and you've got the ability and the, uh, the tenacity to be able to do that, absolutely. So you're back to the starting blocks, we call it, which... Look, that's life. Sorry that that's happened, but that's life. What you need to be doing now is building your equity. So buy something you can add value to. If you've got those skills, you're not like Ed and I who are useless with a hammer, then uh, add as much value as you can, pay down your mortgage as quickly as possible, and then use that equity to invest in the future.
0: So Melissa's asked a really good question. How do you determine whether an area is over or undervalued? What do you even mean by that? And what we're really looking for is, is an area more or less expensive than what we would expect it to be? And I'll give you a good example. Over the long term, Invercargill house prices have been about half of the rest of the country. So if New Zealand's average house price is a $1 million, simple numbers, then you would expect Invercargill's average house price to be about $500,000, long term ballpark. Now, if Invercargill's average house price was $600,000, then you would say, you know what, Invercargill is looking pretty expensive for what we'd expect Invercargill to be. Whereas if Invercargill's house price was $400,000 and the average house price of New Zealand was a million dollars, you'd say, Invercargill is looking pretty cheap for Invercargill right now might go invest there. And so what I'm doing is we're looking at what is the price in a particular area compared to New Zealand's price, and then we look at it over a 30-year period and try and understand, is that particular area looking more expensive compared to what we'd expect it to be, or is it looking relatively cheap? And why are we doing that? Because that's where we can start to get a proxy or get an understanding of where might house prices go over the next 5 to 10 years, over the medium term. And that's what I'm looking for.
1: I've got a good question from Colin. I want to know your answer first, and then I want to go to the one above that. Colin's asked, which is better, buy two properties at 600k or one at 1.2 million? The thing that I would say
0: is buy two properties at 600, and the reason I'd say that is twofold. One, you might be able to get some diversification. You could buy one maybe in Christchurch, one maybe somewhere else, or even different parts of the same city. So I kind of like that. Also means that if you've got a tenant in one house and the other one decides to leave, half your property portfolio is still tenanted. The other thing we tend to see is that cheaper properties tend to have higher property investment yield. So that's why I'd say I'd be buying two as opposed to the one.
1: Now, I would um, say the other consideration to that is you're probably not going to buy something in Auckland for 600,000, and I'm hot on Auckland right now, so I I am on Christchurch as well. So you can get into Christchurch, but you can't get into Auckland. So maybe what I'd probably try and do is uh, get into Auckland at an entry level at maybe 7, 750, and then Christchurch at, say, 550. So I'd probably try and get you um, borrowing to that so you could get both of those areas and then you're probably winning. Um, can you read that?
0: Um, yeah, I can read that to you. Okay. Do you want me to read it Yeah, too? read it to me. It says, uh, this is from Michael who says, we are older first-time investors with you with two properties. We are on five years' interest only and that's going to end when we are 63 years old. Do you know if the banks will let us renew for a further five years' interest only or do they want us to start paying down principal and interest due to our age and with retirement on the, on the horizon?
1: What should we do? A great question. So you can actually look at that sooner, so you can look at that now if you want to. Now the danger with that is they might extend it to, their 63 now, they might make it okay, so you're 68, whereas if you went in when you're 64, maybe you get an extra year. I'd probably start looking at it now, knowing that you can always go back and ask again. Um, There are non-bank lenders that will do up to 20 years interest only. Yes, you're going to pay more interest, so you might not use them now. You might use them when your uh, interest only rolls over. Um, Or what you might do is um, make sure you use a broker that explains that the reason you want interest only is because you're going to pay that loan back by selling that asset at a later date, and it's tax efficient having it that way.
0: Now, Tom's asked a great question. He's asked, it's great that I could buy an investment property for 7, 8, 900K, but how much do I have to top it up by for the next 25 years so I can afford to hold it? What if it's got negative cash flow? And, of course, at this specific webinar, Tom, there's so much that you can talk about in property investment, and we've got an hour tonight. Usually... If uh, the numbers that I ran on a property just yesterday, I think it was a $600,000 property uh, with a rent of about four, maybe $500. I think the average top up was $150 per week over an eight or nine year period. But the best way to actually uh, figure that out for the properties you're looking at is the return on investment calculator. And that's my spreadsheet where you put everything in about the property and it's in the webinar goodies folder and it will spit out a 15 year cash flow forecast for you. So you can see what the cash flow would be every year for the next 15 years as a ballpark forecast, so you can then make that decision. That's the way you'd figure it out.
1: And I'll give you another example of some investors that I spoke to today. So they're 55 at the moment. They're going to retire at probably 67, so a little bit longer than the current age of eligibility. So what we said is we just need these properties to be positively geared by then. So they need to make sure that in the next 12 years they're positively geared. Now, the three properties I showed them all of them were going to be positively geared in the next six years. So they've got six years of contribution. The reason they want that is because they are hoping that probably in a few years' time rates are down a little bit. They can then add on another couple and then get those down. And then all of a sudden, by the time they're 67, it means they don't have to sell everything at once. They can sell one, use that money, it might mean the other properties are held for another 10 years, sell another, do the same thing again.
0: So, Daryl's asked a great question. Do we get a set of steak knives as well? Well, I tell you what, Daryl, for any... uh, What? What are you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is Andrew's fiancée... now runs a company that does the gift boxes oh. for all of our investors um, that we work with here at Opus. Correct. So I tell you what, if you, if you come through and become an investor with us, Daryl, I'll see if Lauren and back. Daryl, if you partner, email
1: me, if you end up buying an investment property through Opus Partners and, and you want a set of steak knives, email me and I'll get them because I need to replace mine as well. we'll get you. What's Phoebe Richardson asked? Uh,
0: she shes asked, uh, what are your thoughts on building rather than buying? We've got a lifestyle block, assuming that we could get
1: permission, should we potentially build on there? Uh, lifestyle blocks, I mean if you if you if you knew that some of that land was going to be rezoned and you could carve off some areas and you were happy getting rid of your lifestyle block and doing that. I've got some investors that I work with that have, that have done that. They have also built a portfolio, so they were reliant on the rezoning to make that work. So we said, okay, well, why don't we put a plan in place that if that rezoning never happens, this was out in Rolleston, then you have still filled your wealth gap. They succef- successfully filled their wealth gap, and then the rezoning occurred. They sold off a bunch of land to Mike Greer. Did really well.
0: Cool. The next question we're going to answer is from uh, Robert. He said, hi, Andrew. Be keen to discuss high-yielding properties with you or Cathy. That's just a mental note for you. He must be an investor we're working with already. Um, This is a really interesting one. Rob, flick
1: me an email. uh,
0: This is a... Oh, Dave. Luke said, "Stop wasting our time." Sorry, mate. I'm sorry that you thought we'd wasted your time. Hopefully, we can. Lucky you get to leave and you didn't pay anything. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, we've uh, helped you in some ways. Uh, Sarah has asked, "Where can we access the population growth prediction table, please?" That's in the webinar goodies folder, uh, or I'll also get that sent out tomorrow. Uh, Sophia's asked, "Is earth earthquake still a risk factor to consider in Christchurch?" Um, Sophia.
1: Christchurch earthquakes are probably a, a factor to consider all over New Zealand. Um, I know that there is... We can't predict the future, but insurance companies seem pretty good at figuring out the amount of risk. So they actually put more of an emphasis on insurance premiums in Wellington than they do in Christchurch. So if that's something to go off, maybe that's something to consider. Same with um, sea level rises, um, but one thing I would say is I've I've made a lot of money through earthquake occurring terrible tragedy that people uh, end up losing their lives or losing their houses. But there are opportunities with disasters as well. Not telling you to capitalise or think like that. But so long as you're insured, then you're probably <coughs> going to be okay. So so long as you have. House insurance, so your house gets repaired. So long as you've got landlord's interruption insurance, you're probably going to be okay, even if there was a disaster. Because it could, if not an earthquake, it could be a fire, flood, locust, it could be anything. Jack's asked, hey, is your book
0: focused on new build investment or relevant to someone considering birth? Um, I'd say it's relevant to somebody considering bird Chapter six is all about how to renovate your property effectively and what sort of things you should do. Uh, the other thing there is... What this book is really about is how do you use property over your lifetime to achieve your financial goals? So whether you decide to invest in new builds or existing properties, the the fundamental thinking behind uh, the book is still sound. And in fact, uh, for our renovations-focused business, Opus Accelerate, we still go through the same process of thinking about how are you are going to use property to eventually fund your lifestyle?
1: Uh, I'll do two more and then you do two more. Okay. Um, Chloe said, are certain banks more forthcoming with lending money at the moment? We're with NZHL and they're not seeming to be that, that right for us. Um, Chloe, I would say use a mortgage broker. So Catalyst Financial, our sister company, helps people uh, with Banks, non-banks, uh, uh, third-tier options, lots of different options, a whole spectrum. Um, we've done a review on New Zealand home loans. I think they're excellent. If you want to buy a house and pay down your mortgage, they are one of the best offerings in the country. If you want to grow your wealth through investment properties, they can be a little bit more limited because they really only have two main options from memory. Three. Three. I think it's... Uh, ResiMAC, a- uh, 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 ASB and Sovereign, I think, last no, time... No, no, no. It. Uh, last time I
0: looked, it was Sovereign. Uh, ASB and Kiwi Bank because of course they, they, are, of they course. are not owned by Kiwi Bank but they are owned by the same company that owns Kiwi Bank now
1: I'm not saying you can't be an investor and use them because I've got lots of investors that use New Zealand home loans perfectly fine but they've got a good enough income and their, uh, their, their portfolio is a level that is suitable. But if you're having trouble because you've got multiple properties or the servicing doesn't work or the LVR doesn't work, maybe talk to a mortgage broker. And Alex asked the question, does Opus have uh, experience helping uh, clients who've got freehold properties and want to use their equity to purchase investment properties? Yes, Alex, that's what we do. That's uh,
0: all day, every day. Um, Anonymous attendees asked, when do you think interest rates are going to drop? Short answer, mid-2023. And the reason I suggest that is I was very encouraged by the most recent inflation data. So the most recent inflation rate, 7.2%, that was released last week. And some investors are saying, Ed, that's really scary. Last time we had an inflation rate of 7.2%, we saw interest rates increase by about 1% very, very quickly, is that going to be the same again? And the difference this time is it's all about what did the Reserve Bank think was going to happen compared to what actually happened. So if we rewind the clock a couple of months, the last time inflation data was released, the Reserve Bank thought the inflation rate was going to be 6.4%. It came out at 7.2%. So, because inflation was much higher than what they thought was going to happen, they had to react strongly. They had to come out, be very strong, raise interest rates. That's why interest rates came out, uh, went up. This time, inflation, again, same rate, 7.2%. But this time, the expectations were different. They expected 7.5%. So, inflation surprised them on the low side. So, I'm expecting to see interest rates start to come down mid to late. 2023. I expect we've still got some increases to go, especially in the one-year rate. We're forecasting an increase up to 7%, but eventually later in the year, we expect them to start to come down. When that happens, we expect to see some confidence uh, in in the property market return as well, Andrew. You've got something you want to talk about? Uh,
1: Yeah, I said said I'd leave my two, but um, uh, anonymous attendee, if my parents are in their early 60s with a million dollars of usable equity in their own home, awesome by the way, um, are they better to pay down their mortgage or invest in in high yield properties? This is where uh, it's hard for us to give advice on this webinar, so, uh, you know, That's where you want to sit down with a financial advisor, actually get some advice specifically to their situation because there could be so many other things uh, to take into account. How long they're going to work, um, whether or not um, their mortgage is close to being paid off, what they're looking for, uh, uh, how much other assets they've got to fund their retirement, all those kind of things. So either contact us or uh, uh, contact another financial advisor.
0: Fantastic. Hey, we're going to wrap it up there, but thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Uh, We're going to be back here next month as well, uh, talking all about the property market and how you can be a successful property investor. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys later. Thank you, guys.